I'm Colin Singer, founder of Immigration.ca. Welcome to the Immigration.ca podcast, where we discuss immigration policy developments and issues affecting newcomers to Canada. Today's topic is protecting against cybersecurity threats in the Canadian banking industry for newcomers. My special guest today is Larry Zelvin, who is the Executive Vice President and Head of the Financial Crimes Unit of the BMO Financial Group. Larry is the head of the group where he is responsible globally for cybersecurity, fraud, physical security, and crisis management. Prior to BMO, Larry was a managing director and the global head of cybersecurity at Citigroup. Larry has also held several roles in the U.S. government that included the Director of National Cybersecurity and Communications Integration Center for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. He was the Senior Director for Response, National Security Council at the White House, and he was Director for Homeland Defense Integration, Office of the Secretary of Defense for the Pentagon. He served as a U.S. Naval Officer and Aviator for 26 years, and he retired as a Captain. Larry has a Bachelor's of Arts from Boston University and a Master's of Arts from the U.S. Naval War College and a Master of Science from the U.S. Defense Intelligence College. Larry, welcome to our show. Colin, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity. So on everyone's mind on the challenges and the cybersecurity, which is the topic of our conversation today, we're particularly interested that this year, the Canadian immigration authorities have uh, implemented policy that targets 465,000 newcomers, 900,000 students, and 650,000 foreign workers. Beyond qualifying for these immigration programs, all of these individuals will be engaging with one of Canada's financial institutions following their arrival. From that moment, it appears to us, these two million plus individuals will be creating footprints and they will be establishing patterns of financial transactions, fund movements, multiple vendors and third parties for their families and schools and employment and the like. It can only lead and it can, one can only imagine the opportunities for online banking fraud that with these numbers, can only be growing at such an exponential rate. I was wondering if you could talk to listeners about the post-COVID landscape of current landscape with online banking fraud. Sure, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you, I've been in the security business, uh, as you uh, well highlighted, as you talked about my bio for a number of decades. And uh, things fundamentally changed during COVID. As people went home, so did uh, bad actors. Uh, and so the frauds just increased on a level that we had not seen. And unfortunately, uh, as folks started coming back to work and society started opening back up, the fraudsters have not diminished. If anything, they continue to attack folks. Um, within financial services uh, and across another industry, and, and, and obviously this is not just a Canadian problem or a North American problem, this is a global problem. But you know, as we look at Canada in particular, we have seen a large increase in impersonation scams. These are bad actors uh, that are trying to steal your information, claiming there's an urgent issue potentially with your account so they can get your passwords, your one-time passwords, 
Um, in some cases, they will call you uh, and they will text you. Uh, in other cases, we're starting to see them use something where they are manipulating a search engine, albeit Google or Yahoo, whatever engine you may use, but they will put up a page uh, that looks like a bank website. Uh, they will ask for your login and your password and you think it's the bank website, but it's actually the bad actor. And now they have your legitimate credentials and can get into your account and as far as the bank knows, it is you. Uh, I do wanna highlight because we are talking about new Canadians uh, and there are certain scams and frauds that I think uh, your listeners should be aware of. And one is immigration and tax scams. Uh, in this case, scammers have used tactics in that they are pretending to be the Royal Canadian Mounted Police or Canadian government staff. Uh, they are scaring people into thinking they've not filled out the required paperwork or that you may owe fees to the government uh, and maybe threatening deportation or loss of immigration status if you do not cooperate. Uh, another scam we're aware of is the Canadian Border Services Agency. Scammers will pretend to be CBSA officials requesting payments or personal information, such as the social insurance number, They'll sometimes say you owe duty uh, or taxes on packages being imported, threatening penalties or jail time. And sometimes they'll even set up fraudulent websites posing as Arrive Canada or electronic travel authorizations. Uh, the last one I'll mention is the counterfeit scams. Um, in that case, uh, folks are uh, pretending to be employers uh, and are willing to sponsor applicants or their families and offer expedited immigration processes. Now look, some of these things may be legitimate, but if you start getting phone calls out of the blue, you're hearing these scary things, you may wanna take uh, a second look and make sure that they are legitimate and uh, ask for validation uh, on ways that you can confirm. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the other mitigations I know further on in our conversation. Sure, sure. So basically you've highlighted how the uh, these scam projects are now in the acting business. They're, they're becoming professional actors that can personify legitimate authorities. These, these, these are uh, clearly what it seems to me, it looks good, feels good, must be real. Uh, and uh, Canadians and uh, even our, I received personally, I certainly received these calls, I received these emails, uh, but it's pretty clear to someone who's more trained uh, to recognize that this is not legit. Uh, but what you're showing and what you're you're highlighting is the level of sophistication. If I'm if I'm not if I'm if I may be summarizing uh, generally, the level of sophistication in the acting side of things uh, to create these visuals that just look and feel real. Give me some sense on the magnitude of currently on the in the in the current landscape. What's the, could you give any numbers on the magnitude of online bank fraud in Canada? Absolutely. So the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center, which is uh, a um, government organization that I commend folks to take a look at. But in 2022, uh, there were 92,000 reported frauds, almost 58,000 victims and $531 million in losses in Canada alone. Now, do know these are just incidents that were reported to the Canadian uh, Anti-Fraud Center and the actual numbers could be 10 or 20 fold more. In a recent survey, 62% of Canadians said they felt more targeted than ever by financial fraud. And another survey said that 25% of all Canadians had experienced fraud in the past three years. Respondents highlighted that the biggest contributors to becoming a fraud target 
was loneliness or isolation, relocating to Canada, or financial hardship or job loss. Hmm. So the third category is really one in which these two million plus newcomers that are setting their their plans are set to come to Canada. This is the third largest category that uh, counterfeiters and and people engaged in these scams are targeting. Yeah, it's actually I'm sorry, it's the second largest. And and with these, as, and I think you said it well. You have these actors, these bad actors, if you will, who are trying to steal money uh, or impersonate uh, people. They have done their homework. They are able to identify through social media or other means uh, new arrivals to Canada, and they're preying on their fears. They're taking advantage of them as they get acclimated into their new country and its culture. So they are predators. Very, uh, very scary indeed. Uh, I, I'm curious to know if we go and just head down to ground zero, there's one area that strikes me as very, very common is that many online users, typically they're heading to their favorite coffee shop and they start their morning off and they're going online to pay bills, purchase products online. What warning signs would you share for this common practice that, that so many of us are going uh, and heading into uh, when we are starting our day, for example? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, look, we use our electronic devices around the world with great confidence. Uh, and I regret perhaps we need to be a bit more skeptical. Uh, I think you use a great example of a coffee shop, but it can also be an airport. It could be a hotel lobby. It could be anywhere that allows free Wi-Fi. The problem with free Wi-Fi is, is that when you connect, in some occasions, you're not actually connecting to the Wi-Fi of a legitimate business, but rather a bad actor that is mimicking a Wi-Fi uh, and you connect to them. So anything you do online, they have access to. The other challenge around um, public Wi-Fi is, is that hackers can easily adapt that which is connected between you and that Wi-Fi service and insert them in the, themselves in the middle. So they have the ability that anything that you have going to that public Wi-Fi is actually going through them first. So one of the things I would encourage is just don't use public Wi-Fi unless it is absolutely trusted and has a secure password that is not well available to everyone. It's far better to use your cell service uh, or use your own private uh, Wi-Fi or use mobile hotspot. So, you know, it's the, this is this balance that people generally, they don't want to use their data. So they're looking for, they're, they're searching out these, you know, free Wi-Fi networks, uh, like you said, an airport, a hotel, uh, where there's, there's a, uh, there's a trap in between the user and, and the you know the network provider, and there's these actors that are sitting there ready to capture your keystrokes or your or whatever it might be that they're looking to uh, to obtain. Uh, if I if I understand correctly, yeah, that's pretty much right. Uh, you know, look, a lot of folks use the public Wi-Fi because they have perhaps enhanced experiences. Uh, they can play games, they can go to sites faster, or you're right, they just have uh, data plans that are uh, perhaps not giving them, uh, it would cost them as they do more. You know, the biggest advice I can give is, is don't go to any sites where you have to put in a password. If you're doing things that are just generic, like you are uh, tech checking the news or you wanna just send an email that is not perhaps controversial or that could put you in jeopardy. I think generally speaking, that's okay, but there is some risk. But I would not, not, not encourage the listeners uh, of this podcast to do anything that requires a username or a password because using public Wi-Fi 
it could be easily compromised and create all kinds of problems that you just would like to avoid. Just one more point on that. Let's say you're in a hotel, for example, and you obviously have to log on to the hotel network. I don't think that would be too much of a concern where you are logging in. You're creating, uh, uh, you know, you're logging into their their path. You have to log in with a password that they give you. That's not quite what you're referring to. You're referring to the general uh, Wi-Fi network, uh, the public ones. But I, I would be safe. You're you are safer when you you're you're not compromising uh, yourself by logging into, say, a hotel uh, network. Well, sometimes I regret you maybe because what's happening with bad actors, particularly at hotels that are resorts is and I, I'm, I'm an avid Marriott, uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a loyal Marriott uh, hotel uh, customer. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will tell you that in some cases, let's pretend that uh, I'm at Marriott uh, and I'm going to Marriott.com and I won't notice that it says Marriott1.com or Marriott has three T's or three R's, which is a misspelling of Marriott. When I actually click on that site, I'm not actually going to the Marriott site, but rather a bad actor that is sitting there mimicking the bad, the, the Marriott site that looks exactly wow. like the site. So there is still risk. However, I don't want to have people be overly concerned. The Marriott site, Hilton and others are good. You've just got to slow down and make sure everything looks right. And if there's any suspicion, leave that site immediately. One of the other things for folks that are more technical is, is you may want to use virtual private networks or VPN access, will provide, which will provide much greater access. But you have to be a little bit more technical to know what that is and how to do it. And I understand private, your own private routers that you have in a home. Obviously, those have to have different types of securities, which I'd like to get into uh, a little bit uh, down uh, in our interview. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, if, let's get into some of the more common types of online bank fraud that, that typically occurs in, in, in Canada. Uh, if we could just run through some of them uh, so, so our listeners can uh, be aware of these potential scenarios that they might be entering into. Sure. I've already talked about the web ones where folks will put up uh, fraudulent websites appearing, uh, that appear to be a bank or uh, other uh, organizations where you might have a username and password. Telephone scams are very common. Uh, and I mentioned, as I talked about, some of the targeting of new Canadians where they will call you and pretend to be a government official or somebody in authority, or they may pretend to... Um, say that one of your relatives may be ill and, and use, again, fear to, to entice you to give them information you might not use otherwise. There are a lot of folks, once they make contact with you, they will try and get your payment card information, your debit card information. They may ask you to do an Interact e-transfer, which is very uh, common in, in Canada. Uh, or they may ask for more information about you to commit identity fraud or theft in order to secure a loan. Uh, or to conduct other financial businesses as they pretend to be you uh, and, and demonstrate that they are you to other financial institutions. Email is also a very common uh, and a very frequent way of making contact. Be very clear, be very careful about clicking on links or opening attachments because that could install malicious software on your computer, giving bad actors full access. And then finally, there are folks who will pretend to be bank investigators or investment advisors who are asking for information because they'll say your account has been compromised, uh, they would like access to your computer, or they need your password. So you've got to be very, very careful uh, that folks who appear to be someone may not be, and you're going to have to work really hard to validate if it is truthful or if it's somebody who is trying to take advantage of you and steal your money. 
if any of this kind of information is being requested, especially in banking, especially uh, immigration, for example, uh, the best course of action would be one of them, I could think, is to be able to have a, a number to call someone back. Uh, so that you're not just immediately revealing all of this requested information, but you actually have the uh, uh, the ability to call a number. Um, hopefully, uh, you'll be able to get through. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, what you should do is uh, say, hey, look, can I have a number, an official number that I can call you back on? Uh, I would recommend then using your search engine on the internet to validate that that number is associated with the organization which you are calling. Uh, if the number has an area code when you're trying to call, let's say, Ottawa, and it comes up Toronto or comes up in Vancouver or comes up somewhere outside of Canada, clearly that is not the right individual. That is not a government source. So simple uh, investigation work using Internet search engines could make the difference between understanding who somebody uh, is uh, truly or if somebody is actually trying to fraud, uh, commit fraud against you. You know... From my personal experience, the challenge can be that so many of us are working remotely and we may not be using company phone equipment. We may be just using our own cell phones. And so people's uh, phone number that appears uh, in the dialer screen may just look like uh, an obscure area code. You won't be able to tell that it's Ottawa where the company head office is or uh, Toronto and such. So I, I think that could uh, maybe pose some challenges for people if they were using that as a gauge to uh, confirm uh, uh, the accuracy of, of, of a company uh, phone number. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, when you talk to you know major financial institutions, particularly in Canada, um, Unfortunately, our folks uh, were working from our uh, our buildings uh, during COVID. They didn't actually have the ability to work from home. Uh, but look, you're well within your rights and go, hey, I need a, a uh, work number that I can validate. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can tell them and, you know, we can, you know, one of the things you can do is say, I'm going to contact law enforcement or I'm going to contact the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center. But it is well within your rights to, to ask for a phone number that you can validate and that you can be rest assured that it is the organization uh, that is calling you uh, and the, the ones who are asking for information. But one of the things I really want to highlight is no one but no one should ever be asking you for your password. No one but no one should ever be asking you for your one-time password or OTP. There are certain questions that no professional organization would ask you, only fraudsters. What, you know, BMO established one of the first banks in Canada, established in 1817, largest, eighth largest financial institution in North America. I believe, if I'm not correct, you, you were one of the first to establish a, a financial crimes unit. That is correct. Uh, we opened in uh, January of 2019. Uh, I'm happy to say that uh, uh, I opened the organization and, and the very first to lead it, and I continue to lead it. Uh, BMO was the first financial institution, and I think the only company in the world that took an incredibly bold step of combining cyber, fraud, physical security, and crisis management to bring it into one organization. Uh, that's what enticed me to leave Citigroup and come to BMO. Uh, it was that opportunity. And the premise was is, is that the ability to bring all of those security functions into one group would make us far better to protect our customers and our bank against all threats 
because as banking becomes more digital, the separation between cyber and fraud and physical security becomes a blurred line. Uh, back in the early days in banking, before there was an internet, there was soundness and maybe separating fraud and physical security. But as banking has become digital, as banking has become more connected using the internet, I believe BMO has designed a 21st century solution of how to best protect not only our organization, but more importantly, our customers. Very interesting. Larry, give, give us some perspective. Um, what is the, the cybersecurity-based value proposition that newcomers can expect to receive when banking with BMO? Well, look, I think across the board, um, there you should always check and be and have an understanding of how much an organization, uh, how well they are versed and how well they are trying to manage the risk from cyber fraud and physical. Uh, you could do some simple research on the web to kind of get a sense of their posture and, and what they're doing. But ultimately, if I think most organizations and especially BMO, uh, if we are at fault, we will reimburse our customers. However, there are occasions when unfortunately customers will offer their password, offer their one-time uh, password that we sent to further validate. And unfortunately, as far as we can tell, it actually looks like the customer because you're not walking into a branch anymore. You're coming in on a computer, you are authenticating in a way uh, that meets industry and regulatory and legal standard, but unfortunately it was a fraudster. So I think one of the most important things is, is one, to make sure the institution has the ability to manage risk appropriately. Next, to make sure you as a customer of any institution understand your responsibility. And I'm happy if you wish to talk about some of the things you as an individual and a family and uh, as a group can do to better protect yourselves. And then when there is an issue, make sure you understand what the policies are to understand what the bank will reimburse you for and that which uh, unfortunately you may have to absorb yourself. Very interesting indeed. Um, I wanted to ask you, in the unfortunate event that a BMO client is the subject of a fraudulent activity, what protections do its clients have and uh, what do they need to do, obviously? Uh, and is the protections offered subject to the nature of their immigration and status in Canada? For example, being a visitor versus being a worker, student, or a permanent resident? Yeah, the most important thing is just to report the fraud as quickly as you have discovered it. Even if you're not sure, you should report the fraud. Uh, you should report it to the financial institution. Uh, hopefully it's BMO. Uh, but regardless of who you decide to do business with, you need to report to them as soon as possible. Uh, in many cases, if we know of a fraud within 24, 48 hours, sometimes 72 hours, uh, we can make it you whole regardless of whether it is something that you made a mistake on or, as I said, always, if the bank is at fault, we will reimburse. So early detection is the key. Do know that there are certain uh, financial uh, it, uh, transactions such as debit card and Interact where unfortunately we cannot recall because they are almost instantaneous payments. So you really need to be careful when people ask you to use a debit card or interact to make sure they are who they are because our ability to help you is greatly diminished. The other thing is to be very careful on what requests for wires. Again, in many cases we can recall the wires, but in other cases, 
it could bounce around the world so many times that I regret it is unrecoverable. So my biggest advice is, is report it. Now, you asked the question about does immigration status matter? It does not. It doesn't matter to us. You're a customer. Uh, you're a newcomer to Canada. We are trying to be the bank uh, of immigrants to Canada. Uh, and so uh, if anything, uh, it will uh, entice us to uh, to help you uh, more, uh, but we treat all our customers equally. Uh, but when we hear it as somebody who's new to the country and we know they are being more targeted than other groups, um, that one gets our, uh, our, our attention uh, and, and we will uh, lean in and do everything we can to help. Very interesting. And the Canadian authorities also have deposit insurance uh, limitations. Uh, there are uh, programs available, coverages available. Talk to us about what that looks like. Again, it really depends on the circumstance. Uh, I will tell you that in my experience, and I would welcome the views of others because uh, uh, I'm not an expert in this part of it, but there are laws and regulations that govern it, uh, those sort of reimbursements, uh, and uh, the criteria can sometimes be challenging, but it doesn't mean that it should not be an avenue that should be pursued. Um, when you are a victim of fraud, I would encourage folks to contact local law enforcement. Uh, many times, unfortunately, they may not be able to do much for you, but it is not a bad idea. But you should absolutely contact the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre uh, so they can prevent others from uh, suffering from similar frauds. And then, as I said, your financial institution and others. But look, in some cases, you may need to contact an attorney, a lawyer, uh, to help you think through your options and see if there are are ways to perhaps uh, use the law to uh, help you uh, get your money back. So some takeaways from today, uh, never be suspect when you're getting calls from CBSA demanding certain informations, immigration authorities, uh, we we always counsel our clientele not to be readily available to answer questions, but to call back an individual. Uh, and, and one of the popular ways of, of navigating Internet, going into public Wi-Fi zones, airports, hotels, uh, other even, you know, cities have Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi zones, uh, free Wi-Fi. Uh, just basically do not transact banking buying merchandise, putting credit card details in, uh, it would be safe to say all of that would be, should only be done on your own secured networks. Yeah, that's correct. And I would also encourage people to, you know, use strong passwords and unique passwords. Uh, avoid things like birthdays, anniversaries, uh, names or common phrases. Uh, the easier it is for you, it might be just as easy for a bad actor. Typically we say eight characters long, use upper and lowercase letters, numbers, and symbols. Uh, this is one of the few places where uh, misspelling of words are actually can be, your, be beneficial to you. Uh, I would also say uh, try and use multi-factor authentication, which is available on your applications and on a number of websites. Uh, use biometrics, particularly facial biometrics, uh, that offers a great deal of protection. Uh, and then I would say, please update your devices regularly um, there are important security enhancements that all device uh, manufacturers use that if you do not update your device, it could put you also at great risk. Very interesting. Uh, you're, you're touching briefly, as I can see, uh, when you talked about facial recognition. Uh, I'm thinking about AI. And where do you see 
uh, artificial intelligence moving in the future. Next one to two years, we see, obviously, recently, there's just so many leaps and bounds uh, that, that, that is occurring in so many industries. Where do you see AI possibly going uh, in the next one to two years uh, to help uh, in the cybersecurity and protecting clients uh, in that area? For me, uh, AI, I think, is allowing people who may not have the technical skills or people who may not have the time and energy to conduct uh, cybersecurity and frauds uh, in a way that is far faster and far more effective than if they did not have AI to help them. Uh, I think the ability for AI to help understand certain groups and target them in ways will again provide insights that perhaps could have been found, but is a more readily found and more readily used to commit frauds. The last thing I would say, uh, and I could go on, but the last thing I would say is, is uh, certain deep fake uh, technology using artificial intelligence is now getting so good that the ability to see who somebody is and hear who somebody is, it may be almost impossible to distinguish between that which is uh, fictitious uh, and, and, and being used to commit fraud uh, uh, compared to the individual. But we may have to come up with certain passwords and passcodes to know, is it AI or is it the actual person? Wow, very, very challenging times ahead, uh, because as the, the bad actors are also relying in some ways, the sophistication. Uh, we see it in so many uh, areas of our life, uh, and I imagine banking is going to face challenges just to keep ahead. All, all, you know, each of these uh, areas are, are going to require the banks to uh, stay ahead of the game, and I wonder what the future will look like. I'm just, that's just a general observation on, uh, as, a, as a layman. Um, in concluding thoughts, uh, Larry, where could reader listeners and readers go to the BMO, you know, BMO's properties to glean further information uh, and stay abreast of some of the the latest the latest happenings in this area? So, folks who wish to learn more and become more informed and better understand that what we do in BMO and security, uh, I would ask you to go to bmo.com. So bmo.com, scroll down to the bottom of the website, look for security, and you'll see a number of websites that we offer that talk about how we protect our customers, how our customers can protect themselves, how they can report fraud, and, and a whole bunch of other security matters. And um, I'm rather proud of the sites. Uh, I hope you find those all very useful. Uh, I would also commend uh, your listeners to look at the Canadian Cyber Security Center uh, their website, uh, the group is out of Ottawa, uh, and they also uh, have great advice, uh, not only for individuals, but also businesses. And then the last site, as I mentioned before, would be Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre that has great advice and counsel about how to detect and manage frauds and also how do you report frauds to the Canadian government. Very fascinating. Uh, a topic that I'm sure is going to see a lot of coverage uh, going forward. Larry, thank you very much for sharing your insight today. And uh, we look forward to perhaps connecting again in the future with some later de latest developments that are happening in the space. Colin, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to your listeners. And I'd welcome the uh, opportunity to chat with you all again.